What does it mean to place our problem in its true perspective, as the suggested Al-Anon opening says? Can a change in perspective change everything? Welcome to episode 258 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Robin, Colin, Joan, and Amelia. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Robin, Colin, Joan, and Amelia, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with a seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me today is Eric. Welcome, Eric. Good morning, Spencer. Greetings from Greenwich, Connecticut. We are going to open with a reading which you chose. Yeah, there are um, so many. I was having a hard time narrowing down. But this one is a great start, and it's uh, in Tradition 1 of how Al-Anon works. I'm going to read from page 107 in the soft cover. And it says, When we first come to Al-Anon, no one else's problems seem as important or as pressing as our own. Our personal pain is all we are aware of, and our personal progress is all that matters. But as we keep coming back, we begin to gain some perspective on our troubles, and we find that in order to heal, we must concern ourselves with the needs of others. This may seem a contradiction, since so much of our program is dedicated to learning how to focus on ourselves rather than on the alcoholics in our lives. But we do not exist in a vacuum, and in the long run, we cannot heal by cutting ourselves off from others or by treating their needs as unimportant. Although our well-being must be our top priority, there is nothing healthy or spiritual about complete self-absorption. In Al-Anon, we seek a balance. Because it is essential that we learn to interact with other people in a healthy way, the needs and concerns of others merit our attention. Our, quote, common welfare becomes a primary goal, assuring that we treat ourselves and those around us as equals. As we learn to treat others with respect and earn their respect, we begin to let go of an, quote, us-versus-them mentality and understand what unity means. Tradition one to read it is our common welfare should come first. Personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity. I thought that was a pretty cool reading Mm -hmm. on perspective and found in tradition one, interestingly. Yeah. As I mentioned at the beginning, we hear the word perspective in almost every meeting at the beginning because the Al-Anon suggested opening has this phrase, as we learn to place our problem in its true perspective, we find it loses its power to dominate our thoughts and our lives. We might want to start by saying, well, what what is perspective? What does it mean? So we've got some dictionary definitions, of course, as usual. And I found several that kind of interweave and and say the same thing from different angles, maybe different perspectives. Ooh. Yes, there you go. So first one here, the state of one's ideas, the facts known to one in having a meaningful interrelationship, and the quote that they have for that meaning, you have to live here a few years to see local conditions in perspective. Okay, what's the next one? The faculty of seeing all the relevant data in a meaningful relationship. 
and the quote today put here is, your data is admirably detailed, but it lacks perspective. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in other words, you're looking too narrowly. There you go. Step right? back. So yeah. perspective in this sense is looking at a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. A mental view or prospect, the dismal perspective of terminally ill patients. I don't like that definition. (laughs) So that talks about outlook, I think, how you see things when you're in a particular situation. And I think that definitely relates to this quote from the opening. We learn to place our problem in its true perspective suggests that the perspective we have on it, maybe the perspective that I had on my problem when I came to Al-Anon was limited and dismal. It was definitely yeah. dismal. I thought on what you just said, you know, as it says in our promises, you know, our, our, our vision was clouded and yep. confused. This uh, concept, you know, is really talking about finding some balance and stepping back. So the next one says, a way of regarding situations, facts, and judging their relative importance. First things first, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it goes right along with the next one, the proper or accurate point of view or the ability to see it, objectivity. Try to get some perspective on your troubles. Well, there you go. Clarity, right? Clarity. Clarity. And there you go. Yep. And what do we got for Scrabble points on this word? 26. Hey. Nice. Nice. Yeah, play that on a triple word score. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You can't, you can't play that all in one turn, though. It's got more than seven letters. Got to yeah. have some, some letters already on the board. Yeah. So I thought a great place to put this in would be right here because I was, as you know, when we first, you know, when I suggested this topic a week or so ago, you know, I was again in that kind of, eh, I'm not sure. This is pretty gray. And really what's the difference between, you know, perspective and attitude? Yeah. I think, you know, they're just kind of the same thing, the same word, but actually they're not. The more I looked and read and thought about it, it is not. And I found a really great summary, kind of succinct summary of it, written on May 1st, 2014 by someone named Sarah Tauber. You know, she, in the first paragraph, does the Webster's version, which is hard to understand. It's very hard to follow a uh, mental, a feeling or emotion toward a fact or state. A position assumed for a specific purpose, threatening perception is a mental image or concept. Not exactly, you know, helpful in yeah. clarity, but later down, she says it in her own words. She says simply, perception to me is how I see things. I could be objective, as in, I perceive this to be a rainy day, or it could be subjective. I perceive this to be a lousy day due to the weather. But it all boils down to how I see the world. And here it is. She sums up very very succinctly. My attitude is reflected in my behavior because I perceive it to be a lousy day. I'm going to complain to anyone who will listen. So perception is what you see. Attitude is how you react to your perception. So perception's first. Perception precedes attitude. Yep. And perspective is really about perception. It's about how you see things. It is. And and then what follows that is your attitude, you know, and yep. your action and mood all follow how you see it, you know, half empty or half full, as the old saying goes. Yeah. I think about, in particular, in relation to the, the quote that we opened with about losing perspective. Yeah. What are the ways in which I, I lose perspective? And I think also tied in with that, as you say, is the attitude, the way in which I react to that, that loss of perspective. I had a couple of ways 
early, you know, maybe let's say pre-program when I was still struggling without any help of losing perspective and they're sort of diametrically opposite and they could happen at the same time, which is kind of crazy. One is denial of the actual situation. Okay. So there was a problem. The problem was my wife drinks too much, right? Denying the actuality of the situation, which is she's an alcoholic and she really needs help to recover. She can't just stop drinking, right? That's the reality. My perception was she just needs to stop drinking. The other flip side of that for me was this, what I would call awfulizing the situation, catastrophizing, that I would start thinking ahead. I would, I would look at the future and my perspective on the future was really, really bleak. Like just terrible things were going to happen and nothing was going to turn out all right. And, and this sort of, like I said, to me, that seems like sort of opposite. One is like, oh, there's not a real problem here. And the other is, but life's going to be terrible. I could hold those both in my head at the same time. And of course, given those perspectives, my attitude was not good. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to use the word I was going to use. My attitude was not good. Yeah. One of your favorite quotes that I don't know where you took it from, but maybe you made it up. I don't know, but it's, uh seems like it pops into my head right here, which is what you were talking about just then was living in the wreckage of the future. I'm sure I heard that in a meeting somewhere. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's, that's perfect. I wow. adopt that. I've used that in a few meetings and I see everybody's pen come out. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And that's, that's a combination of perspective and attitude, really, because the perspective yeah. is things are going to get worse. And then, and then the attitude becomes, oh, my life is horrible and it's never yeah. going to be better. Worry, fear, doom, gloom, yeah. Armageddon. Armageddon, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, in that order. Yep. And very, very good. They, they quickly follow each other yep. within minutes. Yeah. Yep. You pulled in a uh, an article from Psychology Today about putting things in perspective. And at the beginning, it talks a little bit about how we lose perspective. And yeah. the examples, a lot of the, uh, several of the examples are about like little things that seem big at the moment. Yeah. The car in front of you stops for the, the red light when you wanted to run through it because you're in a hurry. That's horrible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just looking at the article, I, I thought this was really good. I mean, it's quite long, but the first page is, I'll just kind of highlight it. It says, putting things in perspective, five easy steps of reducing daily stress. And it says, if you're like a lot of people, you find yourself getting upset about things, from hindsight, look less than awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes as you look back, it may seem rather trivial. Getting stuck in traffic, someone not doing what you want them to do, getting a lower than expected evaluation, money on investing, getting the flu. Uh, right now, she said, let's focus on some of these mundane issues instead of the larger like divorce, serious disability, major setbacks. So she says, do any of these sound like you? I can't believe this is happening. This is awful. I can't stand it. Why is this always happening to me? Yeah. Okay. Why Victim. is this always happening to me? Yeah. <laughs> right. Why is it always raining on me? Yeah. <laughs> right. it's not not just raining on me. I'm, I got a I got a leash tied to that black cloud. That's why it's raining on me. <laughs> right. I'm drag I'm dragging it around. Yep. And that she says I've seen people get angry at the elevator being delayed, screaming in traffic, infuriated that the waiter got their order wrong, 
and thinking that the world is about to end because they didn't do it as well as they wanted to do on an exam. You know, <laughs> I mean, I wrote down the slogans here. How important is it? And first things first. Those both jumped to mind here. Yep, yep. yep. And in there, one of those, and I'm, I, I don't remember which one now, but well, the, all of them really is, is a sort of not stepping back yep. and, and looking at the bigger picture, that one definition of perspective about sort of seeing objectively seeing the larger the larger picture we focus on i focus on the little thing that's wrong right now yeah i mean she puts these five steps to putting things in perspective i mean they're really worth mentioning oh yeah definitely oh my gosh you know ask yourself what are the costs to you and other people around you when you react with such intensity huh. she goes on to talk about it in detail you know yeah, so let's 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 pause on that one for a minute yeah, because yeah. that definitely happens to it happened to me on Friday. Of course, I was in a meeting at work. This is where a lot of my uh, character defects tend to come out because I'm interacting with lots of other people in in somewhat stressful ways sometimes. And one of the other people on my team, I was trying. We were trying to a couple of us were trying to present a plan, and one of the other people on the team said, asked a question. Okay, about a detail. And I was like, no, that that is totally not what we're talking about here. And she persisted in asking the question. And I tried to say, no, this is that's something totally different. And and it just it escalated to the point where one of the other team members actually said to me, Let her finish her question. Yeah. I was like, oh. you know, what is the cost? The cost to me was I got riled up. I yeah. You lost your serenity. I lost my serenity. The cost to the person who was trying to ask the question was she got really frustrated about yeah. not being able to ask her question or me not understanding what her question was. And once we stopped, stepped back, you know, stopped reacting, let her finish her question, let me try my explanation one more time, talked a little bit more, came to realize, okay, she really did have a valid point and it was related but not in the way that I thought it was. And and we came to an understanding that we were in agreement. But because I reacted, because my perspective was, this person is challenging the thing that I'm saying and, and questioning the validity of what I'm saying. You know, that's that's that was the, the, the fear reaction in my head, right? She's telling yeah. me I'm wrong. And I reacted to that. And, and the cost was significant for what turned out to be not even a disagreement. <laughs> I wrote down here while you were talking, you know, calling 911 for a paper cut. I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> yes. <You know>? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, the next one says, stand back and observe and describe. Don't judge. I mean, I wrote halt, wait, think. Okay. We know those acronyms. Am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Okay. I was probably angry. I'm not, I'm going to stop. Halt. Wait. Why am I talking? Think. Is it thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, and kind? All these things are just telling me to shut up for a minute. You know, don't react. Going back to the first comment she made, you know, what are the costs to you and other people around you when you react with such intensity? What I try to do now is just remember urgent things are seldom important. Important things are seldom urgent. Halt, wait, think. Okay, and then respond. The next one she says is, what can you still do even if this is true? It's not the end of the world, she says, for example. 
I think that one is a, that's an important one. What can you still do? Because I'm I'm just going to go back one week in the podcast. Go I'm going to go back one week in the podcast to where I received this phone call from my brother that my mother had yeah. fallen and broken her leg. Just a little bit more uh, update there. It it was broken in her femur was broken in five places, and wow. they had to repair it with a, a rod. Obviously, she's now in a rehab facility. I'll be going out in about a week, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But yeah. my brother called, said, you know, and I could hear the emotion in his voice. Like he was just he was just trying to hold it together for himself and for for her. You know, she fell, she hurt herself. They're putting her in the ambulance now to go to the hospital. And my first thought was, well, probably my first thought was, oh, no. But right after that was, I should jump in the car and drive 500 miles. Okay. That realistically was not something that, that I could do. So what could I do? You know, I had to stop and I have to say, what can I do? You know, there wasn't a whole lot I could do in the immediate. Moral support, you know, send a card, send flowers. I talked about that. Picture the flowers in last week's episode at the, the, the recovery.show slash 257. And taking that pause, what we sometimes refer to the Al-Anon pause or the recovery pause, like just pause. A friend of mine in the program got a little pause symbol, you know, just the two lines tattooed on her wrist. Whoa. Okay, so whenever she starts freaking out, she can look down and say, oh, you know, touch the pause, right? Man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, wow. That's, that is incredible. It's can, I get a, can, I get, can I get an actual button installed <laughs> yeah, that, that be, shuts my mouth? You know, so what can you wow. still do? Well, first, the thing you can do is you can pause, right? Right. Take a breath. Take you two. You know, say the serenity prayer. Walk away. Because that asks the question. The serenity prayer asks the question, what can I do? And what can I not do? What do I need to accept? And what what can I change right now? You know, first things first is a great slogan that goes with that. Yeah. Um, what's the next right thing I can do? I don't. You know, I hear that. I hear that next right thing from from my friends in AA. I don't hear it much in Al-Anon, but I just love it. What's the next yeah. right thing? It's like the first things first, but it's a little bit different slant. And it's usually the opposite of what I want to do. <laughs> you know, as yep. my sponsor says all the time. You know, Al-Anon has taught me to think opposite. Yeah, Act yeah. opposite of my old behavior. Yeah, the next one actually, you know, thanks for pausing on that last one. This one, the number four says, how will you feel about this in a week, a month, a year? I mean, regret, shame, guilt is what I wrote in the margin. She didn't say this. And then, you know, God almighty, would I have to add this to my eight-step list? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, oh, God, no, not the dreaded nine. So she goes on to say, we're often hijacked by our overreaction in the present moment. And then we forget about, forget about it the next day. This is often what happens in marital conflicts. People risk dissolving a long-term relationship based on something that seems absurd two days later. I, hello. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the other side of it, right? You, when your response immediately to that question was, how am I going to feel about my reaction, right? right. I'm going to feel regret. I'm going to feel shame. I'm going to feel guilt. I'm going to have to put this on my eight-step list. Ugh. Okay. God, just shoot me in the face. And then she goes on to say, but this may seem totally trivial a couple days later. It, 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 always, it always ends up happening that way. I know? think that's why she's saying, you know what? Like, take a pause yeah. and say, what does this look like from the future? Yeah. Right? 
What does this look like from next week? What does this look like from next month? Does this, is this have any significance at all? Will I even remember it? Yeah. Am I going to remember that I had to stop at the stoplight because it turned red just before I got to it? Am I going to remember that tomorrow or next week? Probably not. Okay. Like it seems so huge in the moment. I'm so pissed off because I'm in a hurry to get where I'm going. But tomorrow, next week, I will have forgotten that probably because it will have happened five more times before, you know, but that's the other side of that is like, if I can ask myself, how is this going to look in the future? How am I going to, when I look back from the perspective of the future, how is this going to look? If I can pause and ask myself that, that may help me to, to slow or change my response, my attitude. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, had you blown through that red light, you would have got a massive ticket, and you would remember <laughs> that a lot longer. I would definitely would remember that. Yeah. So the last, the last on her list is think about the event as an inconvenience, you know? Just bring it down to scale, okay? Look at, look at it from a different angle. And what's this episode called? Perspective. There you go. Take a look from a different angle. The world, you know, it would be nice if everything went your way, she says, but the world is not constructed that way. Rather than label it it as awful, a disaster, or something you can't tolerate, think about it as a minor inconvenience. It would be nice if people didn't focus on their text messages when talking to you, but it's an inconvenience in preference, not a necessity. You know, it's not the end of the world, okay? Not the end of the world. Step back, pause, take a breath, okay? This too shall pass. Somebody's looking at their phone instead of you when, when you're trying yeah. to talk to them, and and you can just stop doing that, especially if like your kid, you know. You know what I've done recently? <laughs> yeah, this this has actually been pretty successful. When my and yeah, I mean my daughter. I mean, <laughs> of course it, it is. Yeah. It's like they think it's like they have to lose an arm if they don't leave a phone without a without their phone pinned to their forehead. <laughs> and I'll start saying something, and if they continue texting or looking at their phone, I'll just stop talking. There you go. For like ten seconds, twenty seconds, and then they go, "What? Okay, I interrupt. Yeah, okay. Would you? Are you ready to listen now? Yeah." You know, that's, that's a kind way of saying, put down your phone, okay? <laughs> Which used to be, you put down your freaking phone. You know, that doesn't work. Yep. So I don't think this is one of the five that, that she had, but it, it's in that article somewhere about the word rational. And I think the converse word of irrational, like a lot of what we're talking about is that immediate reaction is often irrational. You do it without thinking. Okay. So rational, rational, to some extent means with thought, but what she says is that, that rational is related to the word ratio, which talks about proportion, right? Ratio proportion. So consider the event in proportion, like to to the important things in life or whatever. Um, and I thought, okay, well, that's, that's an interesting little observation. Like if I'm reacting irrationally, it's because I'm not taking things in proportion. I'm not taking things in perspective. So that was also an interesting observation I found in there. Mountain, molehill, 911 for a paper cut. Yep. You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I had another reading. There's so many good readings. Like I saw yeah. last night. I mean, I had trouble narrowing down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do one kind of long and then a real short other and then with how well that works. And then just we can fit later. Two of my favorite readings of all time, I found the word perspective in and encouraged to change. Okay. So what's the one you're about to read? 
Uh, this is from the chapter saying, which I don't know, we keep finding readings from this chapter. <laughs> Sounds strange. Chapter 16, A Nun Finds Spiritual Peace. And on the soft cover, in the soft cover book, it's page 242-243. And it says, gradually I realized that I had been searching for some tragic, irreparable flaw in myself that didn't exist. A missing or flawed piece had never been the source of my problem. There was just a lot about myself that I needed to discover and address, and Alana was a place where I could find, I could do just that. One of the greatest joys in this process of discovery and recovery was that I found what it means to be truly alive. Instead of looking at uh, at life as a problem to be solved, I began seeing each day as a challenge to experience, embrace, and enjoy. My attitudes began to change as a result of the positive examples I found all around me in my Al-Anon group, and soon the whole world looked brighter to me. But there were difficult times as well. I can remember dragging myself to an Al-Anon meeting one day, feeling terribly sorry for myself. I'd been making great strides in my recovery after just a few months of attendance, and I was becoming pretty confident, perhaps excessively so. The alcoholism in my life was far removed, long past, and I was moving into a healthier world. Then suddenly, I became aware that another sister in my spiritual community, someone I lived and worked with very closely, was an alcoholic, and I was duplicating childhood behavior in my interactions with her. I sat in that meeting feeling dejected and lost, and then, as has so often happened, I heard exactly what I needed to hear. The meeting topic was, quote, changed attitudes. The chairperson wrote the following sentence on a chalkboard. Opportunity is nowhere. Opportunity is now here. It was a wonderful graphic example of the fact that the way the world looks is all a matter of perspective. I began to realize that no matter what others in my life did or did not do, and no matter how recovered, quote, or unrecovered, quote, I felt, I had 24 hours ahead of me in which I had the opportunity to heal, to experience serenity, and to improve my conscious contact with my higher power. What I do with that opportunity was up to me. So whenever I feel as if opportunity is nowhere, I have the option to step back and detach for a moment to create a little space, and I'm likely to find that opportunity is now here, and in fact, has been here all along. And and I just want to like emphasize, if you're not looking at the words in the book, nowhere and now here have exactly the same seven letters in exactly the same order. It's just where you put the space. Okay? It's where you put the pause. Exactly. If you don't pause between the W and the H, you got nowhere. If you yeah, do pause, you got now here. What a poignant reading. <laughs> yeah, definitely. God. You found um, a posting on an Al-Anon blog. The title of the the blog post, Making Crises Work for You. Mm-hmm. And this, again, gets at that notion of perspective, that seeing in a crisis an opportunity right connects to that reading. I didn't even, like, until the word came out of my mouth, I didn't connect it back to the reading you just gave us, but that we can become aware. Sometimes a crisis forces us to awareness, gives us a new perspective. I guess I'd not read very many of the the things on this blog. This particular one, and I don't know if they all do that or not, has shares from many different members how 
they had some kind of a crisis and, and it brought them to a new awareness. It brought them to a new perspective. It was one titled coming to see reality, awakening from the nightmare, changing a pattern of denial, breaking the isolation. Yeah. Through Al-Anon, I am learning to trust that my feelings do have some basis in reality and are worth listening to. That's a really strong statement that I know there was a time when I was like, my feelings were just all over the place and they didn't tell me anything. They just were like feelings. They were just getting in the way. I pushed aside my feelings thinking they were not worth anything, right? I commend this uh, this blog post, which I will put a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 258 to that and to the Psychology Today article as well and the uh, perception versus attitude that you uh, you read from at the beginning. Yeah. I want to note that sometimes those Psychology Today links go away after a while. I don't know why they stop working, but they'll be there as long as it works. Well, there's so much in this article. I mean, we could spend hours discussing it. It's mm-hmm. 19 pages, and I <laughs> I see something worth discussing on every page. I mean, yeah, there's sections out of the, the dilemma of the alcoholic marriage. There's sections on awareness, uh, denial. I mean, there's a lot in here. But I, uh, it's 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 too much for now. But I, yeah. I love this. I was watching. I don't know if you've ever uh, watched. Do you watch TED Talks? You know the. Uh, the talks that are given by scholars and theologians and musicians and creative people around the world. Yes, from time to time. <laughs> right, and I think we may have even mentioned this in another episode, but one of my very favorite episodes, it's called The Transformative Power of Classical Music. Oh, yes, I've seen that one. It's probably one of the most popular. It's unbelievable. But, you know, talking about he's an incredibly accomplished teacher and speaker, and he, you know, tries to make the point of how, when we think about a Chopin piece, how the story he's trying to tell and the perspective he's giving in the notes and the use of this cadence and tempo, you know, it's a story and it's a matter of stepping back long enough to feel it. But the way he starts is what I wanted to say as in the beginning of the talk, very, very beginning of the talk, he tells the story. It's a parable that many people have probably heard before, but I think it speaks exactly to this concept perspective. Let's see, it says in the famous book, The Art of Possibility by Benjamin and Roseman Stone, the story goes like this. A shoe factory sends two marketing scouts to a region of Africa to study the prospects for expanding business. The first scout sends a telegram back to the factory saying, quote, situation hopeless. No one wears shoes. Stop. But the second sends the triumphant message, glorious business opportunity. They have no shoes. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yep. You know, what you see as uh, catastrophic, I see as opportunity. It's a matter of perspective. <laughs> Pretty yes. good. I saw that. And I was like, yep, that is totally perspective. Absolutely. As I was reading through this blog post also, I saw like several different patterns, I think all of which have happened in my life. One is is this sudden breakthrough of denial, uh, sudden realization, sudden awareness, sudden revelation that, for example, happened to me. You know, I was at the treatment center. They were talking about the disease of alcoholism, and they said, you didn't cause it. You can't cure it. You can't control it. And it was like this light came on in my head. 
okay? Just this sudden breakthrough, sudden change of perspective. Like I had thought, I have to fix this. This is my job. This is my duty. And in a moment, my perspective changed to, no, I can't, and therefore I don't have to. But then also, what about me, right? Which is what brought me to al And then there's this slowly rising awareness that there's not a moment when my perspective changes, but when I stop and look, I realize that my perspective is totally different. And this, I had one of those moments of realization that things had changed slowly over, over time when I got to step 12 in my step work and I was using the Paths to Recovery book. The very first question in the chapter for step 12 is, have I had a spiritual awakening? Have I had a spiritual awakening? Well, I didn't have one of those white light experiences that like Bill Wilson describes in, in uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous book. But when I stopped and I said, what is different? I could see that the way that I lived my life, the way that I saw the world around me had totally changed. And this had been a gradual change. It had been a gradual shift in perspective that I didn't see happening until I actually stopped to take a moment, to take a look, to see how do things look to me now versus how do they look to me two years ago? How do I live my life now versus how did I live my life two years ago? Totally different. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening to take that, take that moment. How do things look to you now versus when you came to the program, if you've come to the program already, how do things look to you now that you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've been reading, maybe hopefully been reading literature, et cetera, versus when you were just wallowing in your despair? Is there a difference? Maybe you didn't have a sudden awakening, but I'm going to bet that if you stop and look, you will see a difference already. How about you? You know, I just jotted something down here and uh, you know, nature comes to mind. And when I can stop, slow down, and really look very closely at something, a flower, uh, see the pattern, you know, of the petals of a flower, or even just lay down on the grass, you know, and look at life from the perspective of an ant, you know. Mm. Um, it just changes how I feel. Uh, there's something I saw someone do or talk about, actually, in in uh, an open AA meeting, and he said, and I've heard it said before, when he wakes up in the morning, you know, he tries to pray, and by doing his his version, he would walk outside and open his arms wide. He would say, "I felt like a radar," and I would, you know, look to the east and say the Serenity Prayer, and then I'd turn south with my arms open and say the Serenity Prayer, and then I'd turn to the west. And I turned to the north, and he said each direction felt a little bit different. It was depending on my perspective. And what I just jotted down uh, was the higher I climb, the better the view. I think this program is about just taking those small steps up the mountain, right? There's a, there's a facility near us here in Connecticut that has written on their logo, I think, and on like sweatshirts they give to the kids. There's a lot of teens in that program. It says, I climbed the mountain. And it really is about getting a better view, getting a better perspective. The world looks different from 5,000 feet as it does down at ground level. 
So there's something to be said for just changing our view. And that's what it's mm-hmm. about. The way we see things, that's perspective, going back to the first definition. The way we see things, then attitude is the way we respond. So I think it's pretty cool. Yep. I had another couple readings. Okay. The short one here is on page 329 in the soft cover again of how Alan works. And the title of this chapter is pretty good. And I found a lot of good stuff. Chapter 31 says, letting go of a loved one's alcohol, drug, and money problems. Says, being naturally inclined to manage other people's lives. I came to Alan already knowing that the only way I can push people is away from me. I read that again. The only way I can push people is away from me. I never poured out his liquor or tried to control his drinking, as I'd heard others say they had. I saw people who came to meetings and cried week after week, and I heard about members who were beaten, who lost their homes, who feared for their children, and I gained a sense of perspective and a deep gratitude that my troubles were no worse than they were. I already believed in God, so the concept of higher power did not trouble me, as I heard it trouble some people. But man, the, the phrase in there, the only way I can push people is away from me. Wow, I'd never heard that said before, and it makes sense. Hmm, yeah, push. Yeah, Duh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, is it time to maybe do a couple of quick Courage to Change readings? Go for it. This is January 27th. It says, I knew I was in trouble. I was ready to throw someone I loved very deeply out of my life forever because he had left unwashed dishes in the sink. I was obviously overreacting, yet I couldn't calm down. I picked up the phone and called an Alanon friend. After hearing me out, she mentioned that I seemed angry about more than dirty dishes. I certainly was. To me, those dishes were evidence of a whole pattern of disrespect. She said that she, too, grew annoyed and played martyr when faced with the same situation again and again. But whenever she tried to mend all the problems of her relationship in a single day, she failed. It just isn't possible to do so. Instead, she tried to deal with one situation at a time. I still don't like dirty dishes, but I don't have to interpret them as having a deeper meaning. I'm learning to take things at face value. Sometimes dirty dishes are just dirty dishes. (laughs) Man, that's so good. Uh Sometimes it just is what it is. You know, if that's not one of our slogans, it sure should be. Dirty dishes come up. A lot. A close friend in the program early in her attendance remarked on dirty dishes. Like the dishes are in the sink dirty because... Her alcoholic husband was not washing them like he was supposed to, right? What am I supposed to do? And I said, well, my experience is I had to decide if the dirty dishes were really important to me, then I would do them. And if I could live with the dirty dishes in the sink, then I needed to let go of it and not hold a resentment that they weren't getting done on my schedule. Right, which gets back to that that whole perspective, uh, putting things in perspective article, right? Like somebody's not doing something the way I think they should do it. Okay, I can take the perspective that this is horrible and and my life is not going to be never going to be the same if they don't do it. Or I can say, well, you know, they're a different person; they have different priorities, and and when it's important to them, they'll do it. Or if it's really important to me, then I'll do it. And that's that's serenity prayer, too. Like, what are the things I can change? What are the things that are important for me to change? And that gets to a slogan you brought up, and I don't remember if we've talked about it yet. How important is it? Yeah, love it. Are the dirty dishes that important? 
No. No. And they're probably not a sign of the dissolution of a marriage either. No. In How Eleanor Works, you know, the, my, one of my favorite sections is the slogans. Yeah. And I did highlight that for today. This slogan helps us gain perspective. Right there, first sentence. Yep. If we take the time to think about what really matters to us, we may include such concerns as health, serenity, adequate food and shelter, and loving support from others. Each of us is free to determine for ourselves what is truly of value. But most of us agree that we often get upset about matters of little consequence. Compared to whether or not we will have enough to eat today, how important is it if we overcook the chicken for dinner? Is forgetting to pick up a newspaper, <laughs> yeah. right? If is forgetting to pick up a newspaper worth the cost of our serenity? What price are we willing to pay to win an argument or prove to other people that we are right? How important is it if a call we have been expecting doesn't come through, or if loved one makes a choice we do not like? Does a partner's unkind words in the morning merit a whole day of misery, obsession, and hostility? Does it even merit five minutes of unhappiness? Does it really matter? Must we take it personally? Is it worth the price of self-recrimination, resentment of others, or hours of worry? Just how important is it? Even if we decide that the situation is important, we can ask ourselves whether it is important today. Are we living in the unknown future, worrying about things that may never come to pass? Today is all we have. Why waste this precious gift of time on trivial concerns? when we could, we, we could be appreciating the fact that we have everything we truly need. The perspective we gain when we apply this slogan makes it possible to set aside petty worries, minor irritations, and baseless judgments so that we might celebrate the extraordinary richness, richness and wonder that life offers. Yeah, perfect, perfect slogan for this topic. Yeah. You had another reading that you had picked from Courage to Change. I was just looking at yeah. it, and it's 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 wonderful. And it's really good. It's one of my all-time favorites. This is, I think, the one you're referring to, which is page 176, June 24th. June 24th, yep. Yeah, I read this twice last week at different meetings. A farmer found a magical flute. Hoping to charm his hens into laying extra eggs, he played the flute to them all day. But at nightfall, he had no more eggs than usual. Later, when asked if he'd had any success, the farmer replied, I sure did. It wasn't much of a day for egg laying, but it was a great day for music. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and again, that's about perspective. The next line in Alamon, as in this fable, we learn that success and failure are a matter of perspective. Amazing. Yep. Redefine what success means, yeah. or broaden your definition of what success means. Yeah. You know, perspective. I've talked about this one before. It was a miserable day. You know, my wife was drinking, and I didn't see any end in sight because she had relapsed and it was all horrible, right? Sounds like familiar statements. And I went to a meeting and I was talking to a friend before the meeting and, and I was just laying it out. Life was horrible and never going to get better, blah, 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 blah. And she looked at me and said, did anything good happen today? So I thought back over the day and I said, oh yeah, you know, there were several things that were good. Just changing the perspective from focus on the problem to focus on a few things that they weren't big. They weren't huge things. They were momentary things, but they were, my life was not all horrible, right? And and it was a shift in perspective from my life is completely horrible, nothing's good, to, oh, no, there is good. And that changed my attitude for the for the rest of the day. Yeah. Okay. You made me think of something here. I used to play this game with my daughters when they were young. Because, you know, when 
I guess even when things started to go poorly, you know, and my wife's drinking accelerated, but even before that, when they were very young, to just try to get them to look at things a little bit differently when they came home and this kid stole my lunch, this one stepped on my book, this one pulled my hair. We used to play a game. I said, how about we play this game? What went well? And then the game was to try to come up with three things that went well today, just to change your perspective. It wasn't all crap. Okay. There were definitely at least three things that went well that just popped into my head. What went well? Changing our perspective. Yep. All right. Well, this is the point at which we maybe throw in some quotes. I'm constantly trying to look at things from a different view and to put myself into some new perspectives to evolve myself, grow myself, and reinvent myself by somebody whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Again, new perspectives help us to to grow. Oh, this one speaks to me, this, uh, this story from Friday. You have to get along with people, but you also have to recognize that the strength of a team is different people with different perspectives and different personalities. And this particular person that I sort of got into it with on Friday is a person that has a very different perspective from me. She's really competent. She asks good questions. They're not questions I ask. And I need to remind myself that. I need to, I need to know this. Different people with different perspectives and different personalities strengthen the team. I'm glad she's on my team. But sometimes we don't see things in the same direction. Perspective. What you see depends not only on what you look at, but also on where you look from. That's a good one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that. Somebody named James Deacon. Shonda Rhimes, who uh, created Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and, and any number of other TV shows. It's important to have people who are absolutely willing to say you're wrong or who have a totally different perspective than you do on everything. Fresh ideas are hard to come by, and good ones are even harder. That's good. Yeah. I like uh, the one I've been using lately. Is, uh, you know, I, I really would like to agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but have a nice day. Good luck with that. But yeah. With that. <laughs> I, throw, I throw that one in for a chuckle. Yep. Uh, optimism is the best way to see life. That's a pretty good one. Anyway, there's lots. Yeah, lots and lots. Yep. Go to. Yep. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. No. Oh, oh, so true, so true. Yeah, yeah. I in in my, you know, sixty something years of life, um, seasons of life have come to an end. I can, I can wallow in the misery that they're over, or I can remember the good that was there because there was good. Which is that's why I'm unhappy that it's over, right? Right. But if I if I focus on the fact that it's over, I I miss all the good stuff that it brought me. I'll finish with this one that just popped on my screen. Anytime a negative thought comes into your mind, change your perspective. Hmm. Step back, walk away, change your view, you know. Stand on your head if you have to. Yep. <laughs> you know. Yep. Look at it from a different perspective and inevitably I'll find something that will help me protect my serenity as opposed to what I originally felt like reacting, you know, change, change my perspective. Sounds like a good place to move forward here. So after a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. There were just so many 
so many possible songs here. I'm going to start with one by Duffy titled Put It in Perspective, which repeats several times at the beginning, put it in perspective. It's been a long and uphill journey getting to where I am today. It's been real tough, and I'm still learning that working hard's the only way for happiness in this life. You got to put it in perspective. Yes, you do. You got to put it in perspective. And it's kind of saying, you know, when we're down in the moment, it feels really hard. It feels like we're working hard for no for no gain, but when we go back and put it in perspective, we see that it's brought us a long way. That's the way I, I, I hear those words. Okay, how was your week or so? Interesting. Um, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Interesting. So last week, my ex-wife, alcoholic ex, was proclaimed that she was going to Chicago, uh, that my 16-year-old daughter was staying with her for a few days because next week, she said a week ago, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday even, that she'd be away, I guess, for some training for a new job in Chicago and could my daughter spend a few days with her before she left. Said, you know, I, I I spoke to my daughter about it first before responding, and so they did, and they uh, took my new dog. I have a new puppy, and they took the puppy to play around with our mom's dog, and uh, and and apparently it was going fairly well. My daughter knows to check in with me. It's, you know, it's a quarter mile away if she needs help being picked up for any reason. But then I get a proclamation text, which is what my alcoholic tends to do. She declares, "Here's the plan." She said, well, I've decided that I'm going to take our daughter with me to Chicago. And on top of that, I think my other daughter is going to leave her job in Vermont to meet us in Chicago. So this sounds just like a horrific plan. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. So, I mean, I had to muster all of my tools, reach out and get some clarity by getting a different perspective on this Mm -hmm. and. After a lot of thought went into, you know, how do I feel okay with this and speaking with my daughter, my daughter, 16 years old, yeah, I had expressed to her my concern and she said, well, you know what? I'll just ask mom. Uh, I, first of all, I said, I wouldn't ask your mom this, but is she drinking? Again? And she said, no, I don't think so. Cause she just spent three days with her mm-hmm. uh, before they leave for, I, I said, look, you know, if there's an issue, you're up the street. I can be there in four minutes. You're a thousand miles away. I mean, my alcoholic is the type that you give an inch, she wants a mile. In this case, I gave an inch, she wanted a thousand miles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't show up, at, you know, if there's a problem in Chicago when I'm in Connecticut. I said, do you know if she's going to meetings? Because, again, my alcoholic, when she stops going and working her program, it's just a matter of time, you know. Missed a meeting, missed a few, missed a three, there's the bottle. It's been, you know, chronic relapser. So she said, uh, I don't know if she's going to meetings, but I'll ask her. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And she said, I'll ask her if she has meetings set up to go to while we're in Chicago. I mean, what an incredibly courageous thing for us. You know? right? And she came up with it all on her own. So anyway, the the two of them ended up going and uh, looking at the perspective of things. I got to have some nice evenings alone in my house with my new girlfriend. And it was a quiet, peaceful week, and I got to bond with my new dog, who was a little skittish. He came from also kind of a tough 
place as a rescue. And so it ended up being a fantastic week. How about that? Yeah. How about that? Changing my perspective. I put in place a couple safeguards, um, phoned a friend who has relatives, uh, family that live in Chicago and said, look, if I need help with something, there's somebody's good. Absolutely. You know, someone will run, grab her, grab your daughters if they need help. Uh, so I had everything I, all I could do. And then I had to let it go. And they, you know, both got home safely and it was apparently just worked out fine. But as far as, uh, yep. And, um, you know, this week my home group meeting was a good meeting. Forgotten the topic. I don't have my little notebook with me, but the Friday step meeting was on communication, which is always a great one. Saturday morning meeting was on anger, uh, which was also, it's a very well attended meeting. Great topic. Uh, mm, and then anger. as, yeah, yeah. You know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That's right in there. Mm-hmm. I know now to stop when I'm angered. Angered at what I ended up sharing briefly on is this, you know, I used, I think alcoholics and I also used to use anger as a tool, you know, fighting a fire with a blowtorch, you know, I just, it just burns everything down. So anger is not a tool. And if I start feeling anger, I know to change my perspective, do something else, walk away. Because what I'm going to do or say is not going to protect my serenity if I am in an anger state of mind. And then uh, just amazingly, the Saturday men's group, which I led on, was topic was perspective. How about that? Mm-hmm. Gee, mm-hmm. Uh, coincidence? <laughs> there are no coincidences. You know that, Spencer. I think uh, that, yeah. yeah, it was just a, two or three of us, three of us, but it was good. And we just kind of talked. We didn't do a formal meeting. And then uh, this week, I've been finalizing a roundtable workshop that I'm chairing in October by circulating uh, a list of uh, 15 or so topic ideas to each of our 20 or so meetings in this district and having people check off three topics they might want to spend in depth at a roundtable for the afternoon. We did it a few years ago, very well attended, very successful, and people voted to do it again. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you can imagine, on the list um, are a lot of the favorites, boundaries, fear and anxiety are seeming to get the most check marks. Detachment are, are three of the hot ones so far. But some others popped up that I hadn't even included on the list that we've spoken about, and I didn't think to include them, like expectations popped up as a handwritten idea, uh, resentments popped up, control, communication, so a lot of good stuff, so I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Yeah. How was your week? <sighs> well, you know, it started a week ago on Sunday with a phone call from my brother, right? Yeah. One of the songs you you sent as a possibility for this, this episode just really hit me in that situation. It stopped this train by John Mayer. Yeah. Um, I just want to quote some lyrics here. Don't know how else to say it. Don't want to see my parents go one generation's length away from fighting life out on my own. Stop this train. I want to get off and go home again. I can't take the speed it's moving in. I know I can't, but honestly, won't someone stop this train? Yeah. And then had a talk with my old man, said, help me understand. He said, turn 68, you'll renegotiate. Don't stop this train. Don't for a minute change the place you're in. Don't think I couldn't ever understand. I tried my hand, John. Honestly, we'll never stop this train. Yeah, and having that perspective, I mean, I know 
you can't stop life. You can't stop change. You can't stop people getting older. I want to. I've wanted to stop my parents getting older for decades. You know, they were great when they were in their 60s and early 70s. They were still, they were enjoying life. They were energetic. They were wonderful people. I want them to stay there or maybe even earlier. Doesn't happen. The train keeps moving. You can't stop it. Recognizing that, accepting that, having that perspective then helps me to say, okay, what do I do now? You know, what is the next thing for me to do? They're not going to get younger. They're not going to get probably much healthier. But I can enjoy the time we have. I can make the most of the time we have. And that's, you know, that's where I am now. We'll be going to visit for a long weekend, uh, Labor Day weekend. That's next weekend as we're recording this. I've got a meeting on Friday afternoon at work that I can't miss. And so... Two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to pile out of work into the car. We're going to drive the whatever it is, 450 miles or something to my parents' house, probably get there about midnight. The goal of this is, yeah, to have some time with my mother as she's in her rehab, which I've heard it's pretty nice. It's She's got a two-room two suite in a rehab facility. My father can stay there overnight, assuming that his dementia doesn't act up. We're going more to help prepare the the house that they live in for her to come home because she's going to be much more mobility challenged when she comes home than she has been. She may be in a wheelchair. I'm, I fully expect that she'll probably be in a wheelchair. And I just think about that house and I think about the narrow turning passageways and honestly, the piles of stuff that make them even, even narrower. And it's not like this, you know, hoarder situation, but it, we're going to have to do some major clearing out. Their bed is a bed that my great-grandfather built. I think it's a big four-poster bed. It's really high off the ground. I don't think she's going to be able to get in and out of it. I haven't even talked to my, my brother about what's going to happen. So I'm already kind of, oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But also trying to think about practically what can we do while we're there. And And our main goal while we're there is going to be to support my brother and my sister, who have been the primary caregivers on this so far. And and my brother wrote a blog post recently where he's like, you know, people keep telling me to take care of myself, and I don't see how I have time to do that. I'm like, yes, I can go, and I can give you some time to take care of yourself. I can give you some time to, to, to pause, to relax. You know, those are the things I can do, right? I can't be there all the time. But I can be there for three days. So we're leaving Friday, coming back Tuesday to give us three full days. And we'll see what we get done and and make that that support. Uh, yesterday morning, my step meeting was uh, step six. And there's this reading in the book, Paths to Recovery, titled, I Have Six P's. It says, step six is about the six P's for me. Perspective, pain, prayer, patience, process, and payoff. And there's that word perspective right at the beginning. My second sponsor described defects of character as survival skills that no longer serve me. I underlined that phrase at some point when I was, I've had this book for 15 years now, so got lots of different highlightings and underlinings, and I don't know exactly when they came from, but that's important. If I recognize that, that the things that I see in myself that I don't like, that I want to change, are things that were 
had positive benefit at some point in my life. If I take that perspective to look back and say, oh yes, this is a thing that I helped me in the past and it doesn't help me now. That that enables me to move past the sort of self-hatred, the self-negative talk, the self-judgment, like why do I do this thing? Well, I do this thing because 30 years ago it helped me. It doesn't help me now. I need to ask I need to be ready to have my higher power remove it, right? That's perspective. Pain. Okay, so I'm sure I've said this in the podcast before, but when I am recognizing a character defect and not quite ready to have it gone, it seems like my higher power gives me lots of opportunities to feel the pain that the defect causes in my life today. You know, if if I'm perennially late to things, I will be late to things and I will have consequences for being late to things until... I'm ready to stop having that pain, right? Payoff is one that's big for me because I have to ask myself the question, what is the payoff of this behavior? Why? There's got to be a reason I keep doing it. There's got to be something that it gives me, you know, being late. Being late means that I'm not, quote, wasting my time. Okay. If I make that recognition, I do the inventory work to say, oh, I'm late because when I'm early, I feel like I'm wasting my time. Well, then I can plan Like if I'm going to the dentist and I'm going to get to the dentist early because that's when the bus gets me there, or I can get to the dentist late because that's when the next bus gets me there. If I get there early and I bring with me a book or a piece of work, then I'm not wasting my time. So I can prepare. gives me a chance to prepare, which is another P that's not in here. And then yesterday, as I was looking at this, I looked at process. And it says, becoming entirely ready involves a process for me, a grief process, where I walk through my denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. And I realize that very often, letting go of a comfortable old behavior does require some grieving. And there have been times in my life when I had to do that. I had had an explicit grief process that I had to walk through because of a change, because of a change in perspective that... I didn't see the world the way I used to see it, and something that used to be really important to me is no longer important to me. And there's grief in that. And when I can recognize that and walk through it, then I come out the other side with more serenity, right? I'm not going to say a better person or something crazy like that, but uh, with more serenity for sure. Something that's sort of happening, been happening for a while, that uh, there's a new Al-Anon book out, Intimacy in Alcoholic Relationships, I think is the title. Some people in the area are putting together a study group for that book, which I'm looking forward to to meeting and and talking about it. That idea came from this panel meeting that we've been doing once a year for the last three years on this topic of intimacy. This year we had, I think, three speakers. I wasn't able to go because it was right after my surgery, but we had three speakers. And then, and this is this is something that you reminded me when you were talking about this. this meeting that you're planning during the talk, they passed out index cards and said, anybody who wants to share something anonymously, just write it on this card. Or if you have a question, just write it on this card. And then at the end, if we have time, we'll read from them. There were, I think half a dozen people who, you know, filled out maybe one side of a four by six index card with, with their share. And I got to read those because well, I was one of the people who helped organize it, even though I couldn't be there. One of the other guys brought them and showed them to me. And, and that was, I thought that was really cool that, you know, people had some, some 
stuff to share that maybe they weren't comfortable getting up in front of a room full of people in an open setting. It wasn't, you know, it was an open meeting. Anybody could come, but they were willing to share it anonymously. And I think that is a tool that, that could be used in a lot of different settings. I don't know. That wasn't exactly this week, but it's something that I thought about when you, when you talked about your experience there. So I don't know what's coming up next. Well, I know what's coming up next. What's coming up next is I'm not going to be home next weekend. So I'm going to find um, a speaker talk. I have a, a set of recordings of, I think it's Mary Pearl talking about the steps. It's like a series of talks throughout a day at a, at a conference where she, she went through all 12 steps and I'm going to probably put up, you know, the first part of that, maybe steps one, two, three or something, depending on how long it is. Sounds good. Since, since I won't be here and with the plan to, to run through the rest of them as I need to gives me an opportunity to, to take a pause every now and then, which is important. So that's what's coming, more or less. Um, we welcome your thoughts, particularly on this topic of perspective. What's your perspective on perspective? You can join our conversation, leave us a voicemail, or send us an email. And Eric, how can people do that? You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. Eight seven nine five. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at the recovery dot show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of perspective or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. All the information about the show is on our website, the recovery dot show. We have links. Uh, notes for each episode, links to the music that we talk about. I always try to put in citations for the readings that we had in the episode, links to the books that those readings came from, if I can. Obviously, links to the articles that we that we talked about, the blog posts, and so on. So, if you heard something that you want to look into more deeply, go to the recovery dot show slash two five eight, and you should be able to find all of the links, all of the information there. Also. YouTube videos with the music that we talk about. Eric, you picked a song by John Mayer. He's, uh, he's one of my favorites. Uh, I, I sing a lot of his music. This one's Clarity. Pretty popular song. Some of the meanings behind it, I tend to also look up what other people think these mean, because the guy is just a poetic, you know, a lyricist of, at a different level. Uh, he's, he's a poetic genius, I think. And somebody wrote here, Clarity, this song for me is about realizing the little moments in life that we sometimes take for granted. So some of the words, you know, the first verse starts by kind of the way things used to be. It says, worry, I weigh three times my body. I worry, I throw my fear around. But this morning, there's a calm I can't explain. The rock candies melted, only diamonds now remain. So it's, Mm. he's talking about when you first wake up in the morning. And you, if you can feel this moment in the second verse, by the time I recognize this moment, this moment will be gone. But I will bend the light, pretend that it somehow lingered on. Well, it's all I got. Well, all I got. It's for me about having the gratitude to notice those moments and put it into perspective and say, this moment, I'm going to try to try to make it last forever. I know it won't, but I'm going to pay it no mind uh, because I can't. It just can't stop. It's not supposed to, but I can recognize it. And you know what I wrote in the edge here is 
I wanted to get this out before we finish the episode. My father's perspective was something that I just uh, am so grateful to have uh, had in my life. I mean, this guy growing up in the Midwest, you know, traffic to him was time to play games. Mm. The rain was time that we would get great flowers and green grass. And when we got lost, you know, it was an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> see things that we would have never had a chance to see. Yeah. So this song is about recognizing those moments, appreciating them and being grateful for them and having the awareness and perspective to change our attitude today. Let's look at the mailbag. Uh, we got a share from Dave. Actually, we got a couple of notes from Dave. Why don't I start with this one? Dave says, Hi, your show is great for me. I have a sponsor. I attend a Wednesday and Sunday Al-Anon meeting. I give back through several service positions. My program is helping me to pull myself out of a strange well. My life was only helping addicts do what they could do themselves or totally isolating. The two seven-year stretches of isolation were the best years of my life, and now I know why. I could perform self-care then. Also, I know healthy conversations now, too, after Al-Anon. With every person who draws me to offer to help them, I now use empathetic, non-committal statements such as, oh, that sounds really difficult. I'm sorry you're going through that. Let me know how that works out. My higher power teaches me to be patient and wait for the addict to inevitably blurt out their self-destructive addiction, and then I can breathe a sigh of relief knowing why I was so attracted to them, male or female, and move on. And then I can go back to my life and my needs for my 10-year-old daughter. Your show keeps me learning between meetings and the other tools of my program. Thank you so much, Dave W. And I am reminded here of the neutral statements that, that you shared with us a, a few episodes back. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> that's one way to see it. Yep. I don't see it that way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> my favorite. Oh. Wow. Wow. Depending on that's that's several different statements depending on the that's point of view, huh? One I mean, way to the, look the at it. Uh, sorry, um, the tone of voice. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to look at it. Yep. yep great, great, great neutral response that speaks directly to perspectives. You know, oh, what yeah. I'm not what I'm what I'm thinking is well, that's certainly a crazy ass way to look at it. But what I can say is, well, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yep. That's neutral. <laughs> and then uh, Dave sent another. Note about an early episode, episode 30. He says, at 7 minutes and 25 seconds into the episode, I had to pause the podcast and email you. You just described my childhood, basically. And I had to go back and listen to it because episode 30 was a while ago. And Kelly was talking about how when she was like 13 years old, she had three jobs. He says, I started working full time from age 13 all the way to the present. The last place I wanted to be was at home. When I was 11, my dad died of cancer, a useless drunk other than conceiving me and my mom, of course. My mother, who could use Al-Anon, likes to tell her friends how I suddenly became the man of the household in seventh grade, and I told her I would start working to pay for food and shelter and transportation for both of us. It's why, 20 years later, heroin addicts and bar drunks were my best friend, just before I found the safety of Al-Anon. As a very young kid, I would take on duties at jobs that were usually performed by people five years older than me. I remember being in seventh grade at a bar, and the owner tells me to keep this patron drinking, then drive him away from the bar in his car, then walk back to work, leaving him passed out in his Jeep, because he had been hitting on the bar's cutest waitress too much. Oh my God, in seventh grade. Wow. No boundaries there. 
I was paid for such work, and all the jobs I had before that lifting hay bales and being six foot two made it really easy for me to get jobs at bars learning how to interact with alcoholics and addicts. I was always an errand boy for alcoholics, and I would do those jobs better than the older person would. As an adult now in my town, as a licensed professional who works with law enforcement and my program, I see a lot of other overachievers like me. And after one Al-Anon meeting, a gentleman came up to me speaking experience instead of advice and said, I really liked what you said. I made my employer dependent on me, too. Thanks for the wonderful show, Dave. Hoy, yeah, you can see how our childhood leads us sometimes to, uh, to where we are. Yep. Cynthia left us a voicemail. Hi, Spence. This is Cynthia Khan from Washington, and I'm calling because I just got an Al-Anon sponsor. And I asked this woman, I just called her. Her name was on a list. I appreciate her shares. I'm so excited because I've been coming to Al-Anon off and on for a long time, but never got a sponsor work to the steps, and now I'm going to do it. Yay, recovery. (laughs) Thanks so much for your podcast. I'm getting a lot out of it. I listen to it at work. There's been so much pain and suffering in my life because of the disease of alcoholism. And so I'm just happy to report some good news. Ciao. Indeed. Thank you, Cynthia. Yay, recovery. (laughs) I love that. I love that. You you could probably hear me chuckling when she said that. I, uh, she, she also made a little Freudian slip there. She almost did. She said, I've been coming for so, uh, so, such a long time. I never got a Spencer. I mean, sponsor. <laughs> did, I didn't even hear that. Yeah. I did not even hear that. Yeah. No, yeah, she I now think has it's a Spencer. Yeah. I think it's great to hear people's progress as well as, yeah. uh, because, you know, that is what the program is about is about progress, right? It is. Um, you want to read Lisa's email? Sure. Yeah, she says, hi, Spencer. I'm new to Al-Anon. Actually, I'm new to recovery. My first visits to Al-Anon a few years ago were less than positive because I was less than positive. I didn't get that it wasn't about fixing my addict loved one. Now I'm starting over as of three days ago. I'm glad to have found your podcast because I don't even have my books yet. They're ordered. At least I can hear what I need to learn until I get the material for myself. Do I have a question? Yes, lots of questions. But of course, I'm barely on step one. The most depressing thing I feel right now is self selfishness for setting boundaries and detaching. I don't quite know who I am just yet. Without the codependence that has been my mode of operation my whole life, this is normal for those new in recovery, right? I just wanted to say that episode 256 with Anne Marie was so awesome. And I'm thankful for the letters and the Q&A at the end of each episode. I look forward to future episodes and also listening, listening to past ones. Thank you, Lisa. I just, as you were reading that keyed on this, I was less than positive, which is, ha, huh, perspective. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, questions. And <sighs> setting boundaries and detaching and taking care of yourself and and not doing the helping and supporting that, was so much part of my life before that was hard. Yeah. It was hard. And it was also freeing. What I saw was that when I stopped trying to fix my wife, she actually like did some stuff to try to fix herself. So, you know, there was a positive outcome from that. And I also am reminded of the reading that Tom did from 
how Elanon works, the step one, where it talks about confusing love with interference and trying to control because we don't know what else to do. That kind of connects, I think, also with this letting go of, of the codependence, setting boundaries, detaching. Another voicemail here from Christiane. Hi, Spencer. This is Christiane from Cheswick, PA, outside Pittsburgh. I just wanted to call and leave a little message about your recent podcast. First of all, prayers for your mother. I hope she's doing better and prayers for you and your family in trying to decide the right thing to do and the right steps to take. The powerlessness really just kind of hit home. My oldest daughter just left for college her first year, freshman year, and I'm trying not to let my codependent tendencies jump in and make everything right for her because I can't. She's a little over an hour away, so I can see her when I need to, but I'm trying to let her make her own choices. However, the other night she told me that the place that she was previously employed at and she thought she could get transferred to will not hire her in that location because of her hair color. She's very artistic, so her hair is green, and I'm proud that she expresses herself that way, but was sad to hear that her current place would not keep her there because of her hair, and she's choosing not to recolor her hair. So being the codependent mom that I am, I immediately started texting her all these places in that area that were hiring, and then I stopped and sent her a little LOL text and said, I guess I need to let you find your own job, I'm sorry, um, and just kind of laughed that I did that because that was just typical of me. I've only been in recovery since May and am really seeing my ACA, alcoholic family tendencies and Al-Anon tendencies slowing as I'm attending meetings, both online and face-to-face. So I just wanted to kind of reach out and talk about the powerlessness because I am powerless over my daughter. Her higher power has to help her find a job if that's meant to be and and guide her in the right way in college. And I just have to pray and take care of myself and her sisters at home and hope that the outcome is all good. So um, that's all my... uh, experience, strength, and hope I have to share today. I want to thank you again, as always, for your podcast. I always find something great out of it. Um, Keep up the good work, and I look forward to hearing more shows. Take care. Bye-bye. And bye-bye. I commend your daughter for, for, you know, sticking to her principles and being herself, you know. For me, I know I lost myself for a long time, and, and I don't want to do that again. Didn't you have purple hair at one point? Yeah, it's uh, it was uh, <laughs> pink, purple, blue. I actually, since my surgery, I've I've let the color fade, and and I'll be putting some more color in it shortly. It's almost back to gray, and so then it's time for me to, you know, express myself again. What was funny? I think I might have mentioned this um, when I first put color in my the first time I put color in my hair, like a year and a half ago. I went to church on Sunday, and in the sermon, the minister was talking about like different personalities or something. And he talked about, you know, you can always tell the artistic personality because they got blue hair and I had blue hair. <laughs> I was like, oh my yeah, God. it's for me. Uh, you were about yeah. to say something. Uh, yeah, no, I was just uh, marveling at your willingness to encompass the entire rainbow in your, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in your uh, cloth. I don't do yeah. orange. I don't do yellow. 
So there's a couple of colors in the rainbow that, that I'm not doing just because they don't work for me. You know, they're not my colors. My wife said if I ever put orange in my hair, she'd have to rethink our marriage. Yeah. Uh, after that's, 34 years, right? Stay away from the Sharpie <laughs> highlighter. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, my uh, the, the person who, who did my color uh, said her mother uses like a pink highlighter to put a streak in her hair. So certainly, it, certainly frugal. It's yeah. a way to go. Okay. A friend writes about powerlessness. Hi, Spencer. I'm sorry to hear about your mother breaking her leg. May she heal without severe pain or complications. It's hard to watch our parents grow old and frail. I have been dealing with my aging mother as well. She recently fractured her spine from a fall and is doing rehab at this time. And I'm just going to say my prayers to you as well for your mother. Spine. Ooh, that's scary. Thanks for the reminder this week that I am powerless. I have been devoting so much time and energy to my mom that I have been neglecting my own self-care, including my program. I've been eating poorly, not exercises or going to meetings since this has happened. I feel guilty when I'm not by her side. I worry constantly about her well-being and about her falling again. I also feel guilty that I'm not able to be there for the rest of my family. They are very understanding and want the best for my mom, but they still have important events and things that I would like to be there for. Not to mention that I have a very stressful job. It's hard to juggle it all. I need to realize how powerless I am. I can't be there every second of the day and night. I cannot change the fact that my mom is growing old and is at risk for all sorts of age-related conditions and illnesses. This is where I need to accept life on life's terms and stop trying to be my mom's higher power. I also need to accept help from others. That's always been extremely difficult. I really identified with the vision of strapping on your Nikes, as you mentioned Eric saying, because I've been running on the hamster wheel a lot lately, not surprisingly. I'm actually writing this to you at what 3 a.m. because I woke up worrying about everything, and instead of tossing and turning, I got up and listened to your show. Thank you for being there. I'm so grateful to you and your guests. I feel such a connection to people in the program, even if I've never met them. It's such a relief to know I'm not alone. Maybe one day I'll become brave enough to call in or be a co-host. I don't have that kind of confidence at this point in my life as much as I'd like to, but I've come a long way. I'll always be working on it. If there's anything else I can do to support you or your show, please let me know. Good luck with your mom. She's blessed to have such a loving family. Take good care. And thank you for, for your thoughts. And I, oh man, I identify with with all this neglecting self-care, feeling guilty that I'm not there, worrying constantly about well-being, yes. And that's where I'm using all the tools that I've got to uh, to keep that in balance. I remember somebody, maybe I might have been in a meeting, somebody was talking about giving themselves time to feel. You know, it's like, I am in grief. I am angry. I am whatever is going on, this negative emotion that I'm having. I will give myself 20 minutes to feel this thing, to be with it in the moment. And then when that 20 minutes is over, I will let it go and I will get back to the rest of my life. And I thought that, that sounds like a really good tool to, to, to pick up. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. The strapping on the Nikes, by the way, <laughs> I've replaced that now with slipping on his flip flops. Oh, oh. Yeah. can't run so well in the flip flops. That's for nah. sure. No. Yeah. can just walk around a cage. <laughs> my hamster's now my hamster's now slipping on his flip flops. Right. Strapping on his Nikes. Well, that's progress. Yeah. I got a, an email from Veronica who 
has uh, said she's encountered error messages from the Apple Podcasts app while trying to listen to the recovery show. And she gets this message occasionally. It says episode temporarily unavailable. And I have to say, I've seen this message uh, for other podcasts. And sometimes, sometimes just trying again later, it works. And, and sometimes it doesn't seem to. And I, I have no idea why this happens. It's very frustrating. I wish I knew what happened. I wish I knew what I could do about it, if anything. So if you run into that error, I'd say just like, you know, try again. If you really can't get to it, if it's just not working for you, you can go to the website, therecovery.show slash episode number. So, you know, therecovery.show slash 30, if you wanted to listen to the one about programming the workplace. And you can listen to it directly from the web on your phone or on your computer. You just have to have like a continuous connection, which is less convenient, certainly, than downloading it into the app. And I also got an email from somebody who found the podcast. Uh, she was searching for help in dealing with her 18-year-old who's in recovery. And as she listened to the podcast, she started to realize that I was in the same town and, in fact, that we knew each other previously and just writing to Marvel. And I said, well, thanks for writing. I, I remember you. You know, our, our lives went in different directions after, after the time that we had known each other. I said, if you ever want to get together for coffee— Here's my phone number. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Robin, Colin, Joanne, and Amelia did. And thank you again for your support. The last song that I picked, and there's so many perspective songs out there, but I picked this partly because it's Bob Dylan's song. It's Simple Twist of Fate. And the song is about how our lives change in ways that maybe don't seem to make sense because of, as he puts it, a simple twist of fate. He felt alone and wished that he'd gone straight and watched out for a simple twist of fate. You know, looking back, seeing that in perspective maybe is, uh, is what it's about. for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time